I'm going back to therapy because of this interview. I can make a lot more money doing silly comedy in TV. You made a lot more money in TV than you do in the Did you know when you read the script of 10 Things I Hate About You, did you know that that was going to be a hit? Nine out of 10 actors sound the same in an audition. What's the truth? It's a great question to ask yourself when you're questioning yourself. I'm writing the follow-up film to 10 Things called 10 Things I Hate About Me. The superpower of every actor, whether they believe it or not, is their own life experience. One of the things that I say to myself on the daily is that all of life comes to me with joy and glory. Working with Ellen was extraordinary. I directed her series for two years. There's little tiny things that chip away at you, chip away, until your self-image is so dark, you actually forget who you are. They have medically proven that intelligent, creative people, their brains are wired differently. And we are back with the Frankie Lee podcast. And today you are not going to be disappointed because I've pulled out the woodwork, the Hollywood director himself, Gil Younger, who has directed the hit rom-com, 10 Things I Hate About You. You would have heard of it. And welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you. I'm excited to be I'm, here. Mate, I'm excited to have you on. I'm excited to the fact that we met in a medita- meditation retreat of all things, you know, of all the places we meet, like, there you go. To, 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 to get things done. But obviously, I was reading your memoir before this podcast, last night before this podcast, and you've had what can be said as an illustrious career. You've gone from, you know, dating Playboy models, you've... You've, you've, you've been in Hollywood since 1979. You've done everything from pick up, co- pick up cocaine to wash cars in the early days to, to where you are now, to directing hit movies, to the breakout show of Ellen. Like it's, it's just like you've done all these different things. I, I really want to take people right way through that creative journey because it's not something that's you know, been easy for you. You've had to overcome a hell of a lot. So I just want to take you back to that, that your first day in Hollywood, like just walking into Hollywood and how your eyes were opened up to this, to this world that you, that you saw and believed. Uh, that's interesting. I um, literally my first day on the job, um, I, um, uh, the bo- my future boss, I was being interviewed. And my future boss took me on a tour of where he worked, which was at a studio. And I remember very clearly he walked me onto one of the stages just to show me like what he does, right? He's a producer, TV producer. Turned out to be one of the bigger television producers in history. Um, And he opened up these, what they call these elephant doors on a stage. You're probably familiar. They're just ginormous doors, right? Like 25 feet wide. And that opened and on that set, on that stage was the set of a TV show that they just shot the pilot from. And when I saw all of those lights hanging above, uh, cause it was all rigged and ready to go. And I, I just, I thought it was magic. I literally thought, Oh my God, what is this? Um, because I'd been to film school and I'd seen little sets, but it was just, it was kind of overwhelming. In a beautiful way. And then I got um, some really useful words of advice, of wisdom, from my future boss. And he said, exactly this. You will arrive 30 minutes before me. You will leave 30 minutes after me. The pace sucks. The hours suck. But if you're tenacious, you can make it in this business. Oh, he says, oh, and 
if someone farts, you're going to stand up and say, excuse me. That's what he said to me. And I thought, uh, okay, sure, sure. I can, I can take the hit for whatever it is. I'm, I'm in show business. Let's go. So you knew from day one then that ultimately every responsibility fell down to you because you were at the lowest peck. I level. was the lowest possible rung on the I wasn't even on a ladder. I was, I was the dirt below the ladder. And what was the job title they gave you for this for this position? Well, back then, in the Paleolithic era, um, uh, it I was called a gopher. You go for this, you go for this, you go for that. Gopher, runner. Now they're called PAs. And they would never get away with having a PA do what I did, yeah. you know, 40-something years ago. Uh, cause I did, I did literally anything and everything they asked me to do. I didn't, it was no matter what. And the truth of the matter is I, I loved everything. I loved it. I just, I'm like a golden retriever <laughs> that I, I, I really, I, I, I take pleasure out of pleasing people. And I knew I had a really amazing opportunity. I was, you know, two weeks out of college. Um, and yeah, whatever they asked me to do, um, I did. And then I took the initiative on my own, in hindsight, that I would work, my normal work hours were seven to seven. And whatever I had to do, clean cars, hand wash Porsches, uh, uh, Xerox scripts, run the scripts to the stage, go get coffee for everyone, go get lunch for everyone, go get dinner for everyone, sit in the rewrite room, you know, which was amazing to me. Uh, just because whatever these producers wanted, I had to be there at any moment, right? Um, but then at seven, when I was done for the day, what I would do is I would go to the edit bay. Because I went to film school, I, had, I thought I had a knack for editing, and I was just genuinely intrigued. So I'd sit in that edit bay for till like 11 o'clock every night. And what happened for me was I overheard the editor of this big TV show say to a, a co-worker that he had to leave the show for prior commitment. And I was like, oof man, I could do this. I know I can do this. So I actually uh, called a meeting, which I look back and I laugh at my how cocky I was, but anyway. And I called a meeting with the owners of the company. And I said, guys, this editor is going to leave. I just found out today. So you have an issue where you need to find yourselves an editor. I believe I can do it. And I said, I would like to just ask permission to do the first cut of the next week's TV show, which is two days. It takes two days to put a, a first cut together of a 22-minute show. I said, I'd like to be given that opportunity. And I said, if it's no good, fine. You lost a couple days, and I'll go back to being a runner. And if it is good and you like it, well, then we both, we both benefit. And they looked at each other and they said, uh, okay, sure, give it a shot. And I was quite lucky because then, bang, next thing I knew, you know, uh, I was cutting the number three show on television. And what you've just shown there is the fact that 
you know, your tenacious attitude to be there early, to leave late and to work those extra hours is what created that opportunity for you. Because 100%. one of my questions was going to be today was like, you know, how can people cut through the noise in Hollywood? It's like, and that, and you've just shown exactly how to cut through the noise in Hollywood because you have to be willing here to do things way and above and beyond what other people would be willing to do. A hundred percent. Because we'll just think about it, especially in my business and I'm sure your business and any business, but particularly this business, it's, it's so revered to be a part of it, you know? So I, I don't know numbers, but I'm sure there's a minimum of a thousand people that come to LA every day to get into this business. Well, I read the numbers on actors and oh. there's a thousand actors in the US that earn over 150,000 a year. Yeah, that's o- it. O- that's it. There's only a thousand actors. The rest of yep. them don't earn anywhere close to that amount yeah. of money. Yeah, I know. I've heard similar numbers. I, I think it's something like 8% of all members of SAG, and I hope I'm not in, I know I'm somewhere close, make above the poverty line. 8% of all actors in SAG make a living all the other 92 percent have second jobs third jobs whatever that is yeah in in your whole career who's the actor that stood out to you with the with the under like undeniable work ethic like would not be denied oh that's a good question um working with ellen was uh ellen degeneres was extraordinary uh, uh she uh that was a true gift to work with her for two years. I directed her series for two years, culminating in the, the coming out episode, which was easily the, the my proudest moment in television. You got um, nominated for an Emmy for that. Yeah, and a Director's Guild Award and a few other things. Yeah, and Best Editing. and Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was thrilling because the show was meaningful. You know, yes, it was funny, but it meant something. And it touched millions of lives. Millions of lives. 440 million people watched that show. That crazy? Yeah. It, there was a monster hit. And, but more importantly, it was just so well done. And the first time anyone has ever, you know, said publicly, you know, that they're gay and this is the lifestyle they choose. And to this day, 25 years later, to this day, at least once a month, someone comes up to me and says, I heard you directed the Ellen coming out episode. I did. And they say, they look at me, their tears well up in their eyes. You saved my sister's life. You saved my life. You made it possible for me to claim who I was. You gave me the courage to honor myself. Come on, man. I mean. Did, did you know how big of an episode that was going to be at the time? Did you have any feeling in that? I knew that it was going to be big, right? And then as we were doing it, and as I was, you know, uh, getting ready to direct Oprah, <laughs> which was so cool. Um, not only did I know that it was going to be big, I knew that it was going to... I didn't think it was going to be as big as it was. But I knew it was going to be incredibly well-respected. And what that, ep- that actual episode was the reason I, th- I, I took the opportunity yet again to try to get my, a movie. Because 
pretty much in my business, and maybe it's a little different now, but you pretty much stay in your lane. If you're a sitcom director, you're a sitcom director, right? If you're a movie director, you're a feature director. Yes, those lines are now blurred because TV has gotten to be so damn good. But I actually said to my agency, which was CAA at the time, I said, I said, I think after this thing comes out, like the week after this episode comes out, I'm going to be the flavor of the month for about 10 days. And I want to take advantage of that. And I want you to please set meetings with me with the head of all the major studios film, right? And that's exactly what they did. 10 days after they, we, I met with Disney, I met with Fox, I met with Sony, I met with all these people. Um, because all of a sudden they, Gil Younger, who's that? Oh, he directed that Ellen thing. Oh, okay. He's, he's got some talent. Um, and uh, it was from that first initial round of meetings. I got 10 things. I got it like a month later. Did you know when you read the script of 10 things I hate about you, did you know that that was going to be a hit movie? Um, not when I read the script. Uh, the initial script, but what it did do, I had probably read already 50 uh, film scripts. Just from the studio meetings, they said, oh, you should, we're going to send you this, we're going to, and a lot of them were um, just silly comedies that I, you just didn't resonate with. Yeah. It's just like, if you know, I, I can make a lot more money doing silly comedy in TV, because you've made a lot more money in TV than you do in film. And, uh, and then when I read, um, and I passed on everything, I passed on every single thing I read. Um, and then when I read 10 things, um, I saw inside of it the promise of a really good film, right? And by promise, I mean, you know, uh, there was a, a, a pretty decent rewrite done to the script. Not to, not to knock uh, the women that wrote the script because it was, it, it's a very good script. And, um, but I just saw it differently. I saw how I would direct it differently than what was on the page currently, right? And um, so when I got hired, I was also blessed with the studio. I think if I remember correctly, they gave me $125,000 to spread amongst whoever I wanted to do a a rewrite with me, right? And because I was uh, very well uh, embedded in the, top of the top sitcom world i invited five guys that were all showrunners meaning head writers on big tv shows and we all got together for four days and they gave me all of themselves i mean that is a room you probably couldn't afford in real life seriously those guys would have gotten each probably 200 grand each you know so that's that's a that's a million dollars just to do a rewrite they did all of this for me because they're my friend and they wanted to support me. Um, however, when we finalized on the script, obviously, and cast it, I knew, and I, this, it's, it's a funny thing to know because I'd never made a movie before, but I absolutely knew after every scene, when, before I'd say push, meaning, you know, go, let's go to the next set, I knew it was a great scene. Seriously. I just had this un... Yeah, I just had a... a I just knew it. it. It was great. And as a matter of fact, the producer, who is now 
a very, very dear friend of mine and a prolific, high-quality producer by the name of Andrew Lazar, who was the producer on that movie, he, he said the same thing to me, too. He said, this is a hit movie, Gil. I said, I know. I said, do you say that a lot? He said, uh, no, I almost never say that. <laughs> um, it just felt right. You know, it just felt right. He's one of the best producers in the game as well. I love him. Yeah, his last movie was American Sniper, which he he read the manuscript. He developed the script himself. Uh, he picked. He chose the writer that was right. Then he did all the notes, developed it, uh, chose Bradley Cooper, and then eventually Clint Eastwood to direct it. I mean, it was... Um, this is an incredible film. But that that's the caliber of producing that he is. Actually... I'm, right now, I'm writing the follow-up film to 10 Things called 10 Things I Hate About Me, which I'm co-writing with a brilliant writer, Naya L. James, and Andrew Lazar is going to produce it as well. And and what's the feeling on that one? Do you feel you, you inside you right now? What are you feeling about that? Huh. Because, um, because it must be hard for you knowing how much of a hit the first one was when you're doing a sequel to something. Yeah, I, I, I don't really know. I don't really spend too much time thinking about the sophomore jinx, you know. But, I mean, it's not going to have that commercial impact, I don't think, uh, as the first one. But I don't really even think in these terms. The whole purpose of this movie, 10 Things I Hate About Me, which is interesting because it kind of it kind of goes in parallel to where I am today as a man. The story, in a nutshell, of 10 Things I Hate About Me is actually my story um, about two people that go to the same place at the same time to commit suicide. Two people that, on the surface, you know, well, they're movie stars, so they're going to be good looking, <laughs> but have, seem to have it together, right? And then during the body of the film, they ask each other, like, Frankie, you know, you got so much going on. How could you have possibly ended up on this cliff? Yeah. How could your life that from the outside looks so great cause you to lose hope? I don't get it. And then during the body of the film, they explain to each other, you know, the little things that just chipped away at them, you know, because I wanted to spell the myth that people that consider suicide or, or unfortunately have take suicide uh, commit suicide, excuse me, um, that they're crazy. People think, ah, they're fucked up. You know, they're all messed up and they're losers. Or, wow, they're really mentally ill. It's so many people have moments in their lives when they just want to just go to sleep for a while. You know? And... It's just, it to me, this is the message I'm going to tell, because I know it's true in my own life, that there's little tiny things that chip away at you, chip away, until your self-image is so dark, you actually forget who the fuck you were, which is what happened to me. Um, and anyway, by the end of the film, not only do the two people, they recognize that although the specifics are different, the feelings of alienation of massive depression, of feeling misunderstood, of feeling alone, of feeling they're never going to get ahead, the feelings are identical, right? And then by the end of the movie, which is very important to me, they fall back in love with the gift of life. 
That is the message that I'm going to put out there. That is exactly what happened in my life and Naya's life. And because I believe, knowing how effective uh, the cinematic platform is, how many people you can reach, just like I did on The Ellen Show, um, I know this is going to sound uh, grandiose, There's, but there's no doubt in my mind, after I make that movie, I will have saved thousands of lives, if not tens of thousands of lives, because I know how to reach people. And I, and my story is true. And I obviously turned it around, right? And loving life. And I just want the, I just want it open so that it's not a shameful thing to talk about. Because, you know, it, even when I was in my darkest moments, personally, and someone would say to me, Hey, Gil, how's it going? Good, good. How you doing? You're like 10 minutes later, I'm in my house. I'm practically crying. I'm so fucking alone. You know what I'm saying? But a boy or a young man in particular, never going to say, oh, man, I'm really depressed. <laughs> I can't even, I'm laughing because I can't even imagine have, having said that at 26 or 27. Because guys are trained not to. You know, be tough, man up, man up. The expression, man up, right? Um, so anyway, I, I, my, my hope, and I think it'll be the most important movie I've ever made and probably will ever make, um, is to open up the conversation, not only of mental illness, but how common, how common it is. It's, you know, it's the number, it's the number one cause of death in America for 18 to 30. The number one cause of death is suicide. What would your advice be to anyone out there that's listening to this, that's, that's feeling a bit lost and feeling like there's things chipping away at them? Like, and how, and how can they overcome that? Man the fuck up. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, that's a great question. I am a living proof that feelings of devastating feelings that are self-limiting thoughts, um, you have to recognize, and it's, a, it's not a, a flick of a switch, Wait, let me rephrase this answer. Because can I step back a bit? Step back, yeah. Because it's a great question. Because I do hope to reach those people. I be- Here's my little quick, very quick life philosophy. And this is what I'm trying to share, by the way, um, in Breakthrough, in my company, you know, the Breakthrough Company. But life philosophy. Born, you, me, everyone, except you got that funny accent. Perfect. Born perfect, Right? With two objectives, two objectives, to love and to be loved. It's that simple. That's all a baby wants, right? Smile at mommy, feed. Smile at mommy, feed. And then this crazy thing called life gets its hands on you. And before the age of seven, a human being does not have the ability to reason, it just, you just don't, right? <clears throat> Maybe you do. You're super smart. Um, so everything you see and feel in life as a toddler and an infant or whatever, a young kid, you take in as fact. So example, you're a four-year-old girl and your mom just got you this princess dress and you just, you can't wait to show it to your dad, right? 
and you put on that dress and you run into the room and dad, look, look at my new dress. And hypothetically, the dad's, oh, I think it's too small, sweetie. It, it makes you look a little fat. That girl is screwed. Something that simple, body dysmorphia, she'll be on diet, diets for the rest of her life. I'm not saying everyone responds so dramatically, but it's that information that you get between the age of zero and seven. You Again, you take everything in as fact because you can't reason. So if your kids are mean to you and they call you stupid all the time, you're going to believe you're stupid. It's the truth. For example, my brother, who happens to be very bright, all I heard, all I heard growing up, or, or it feels like all I heard, was, God, your brother's so handsome, so smart. My heavens, your brother is so smart. Well, I grew up absolutely, and I carried this through my career until recently, that I was odd-looking, and that, more importantly, that I wasn't very smart. Because I learned all of that, or I was told all of that in my fives and sixes, okay? So anyway, my point is about this life philosophy. So then you create a story about yourself in your brain, okay? From all of that information that you mirrored from your parents, from your friends that maybe weren't so nice, from a relative who's not, who is unkind, whatever. And that's who you believe you are. And 99% of all people believe that's who they are for the rest of their lives, period. And that is what informs everything you do. And I mean everything you do to the clothes you pick to wear today. Yeah, these look cool on me. It informs everything, the lovers you choose, the work you choose. Um, if you feel, you know, there are countless stories about billionaires who hate themselves. And they're constantly trying to prove, subconsciously, of course, to their dad that they're special. I mean, even read the Steve, Job, the Steve Jobs book. I mean, it's, it's, it's very common. It's because the story, they haven't stepped back from the story and said, wait a minute. Is that, am I, am I stupid? Am I not smart? People don't do that. They just believe the story, okay? And it impacts everything. It also impacts the way you act, by the way. That's one of the messages I'm sharing. So, when you say to me, if someone is feeling, questioning whether it's worth it, whether they can last another couple days, um, I, one simple, and it'll sound corny, one simple thing I would beg of them to do, and this is actually a global initiative that you don't know anything about, that I'm going to roll out in mid-November. It's a very simple, global initiative. I'm going to have a number of actor friends that I enjoy, and hopefully they do me. And they're going to offer an exercise that I have already come up with. And it's going to be called 10 Things I Love About Me. And the exercise is simple. Write down 10 things that you love about yourself. It's a very interesting challenge because most people are like, mm, mm, very uncomfortable, right? And if you don't think you have any, ask one of your best friends, what do you love about me? What do you think is special about me? That hopefully will trigger you to write down 10 things. 
Then take that list, compress it, put it in your wallet. Carry it always. Put it on your laptop so it's always there. And I believe, and I actually did this, put it on, put that list of 10 things on your bathroom mirror. And every single morning, read that list out loud. Read that list out loud. Because the repetitive nature of saying and thinking positive things about yourself actually changes the neuroplasticity in the brain. It's a proven fact. I'm sure you know all about this. One of the things that I say to myself on the daily is that all of life comes to move each joy and glory. Oh, wow. Because I think as a statement, it's such a powerful statement to me because so much of my life before these last two or three years was, was very hard to me. Everything was oh. ha- harder than it had to be. Everything was a battle. I love that, harder than it had to be. Go ahead, I'm so sorry, I cut you off. It's it's like people go through life thinking that life has to be this battle that has to be won or lost. Mm. And it's like, if you've you've been programmed to this win-lose mentality, you have lost, whether it's a win or a loss, because you're you're at the opposite end of every spectrum on every answer to every question in your life. And if you get to the point where, where that is your narrative, mm. you, you, can't ever, you can't ever truly win because when you win, you feel empty. And when you lose, you feel empty. Oof, that's good. So it's like, so you've got, you've got to be really clear. So one of the, one of the things I, I, I just feel called to ask you is like, as a man that writes powerful stories and, and puts it into a cinematic picture so that it, it, it affects how people feel millions of times over, how can people rewrite their own story that have so drastically consumed this narrative that they've made up between zero and seven? Like, how can they rewrite that? Wow, these are great questions, dude. I didn't realize I was going to have to bring my brain today. Jesus, Christmas. Um, I was blessed. Seven years ago, uh, I met a coach, a life coach. And when I, actually, when I first met her, and she told me what she did. I was like, ah, okay, see ya. Because I thought, oh, please. Yet another LA, you know, I don't want to hear anything. Um, anyway, through a series of events, we kept bumping into each other. And I thought, man, maybe there's something here. And she was my guide. She helped me turn my life around dramatically and fast. Okay, how did she do it is your question. Um, she would do in the beginning very simple things like uh, saying an affirmation. And I told her I wouldn't do it. I said, I'm not doing that. That's stupid. She said, just do it. I said, no, I'm not going to do it. It's stupid. Anyway, the affirmation she gave me was I was having a lot of problems with guilt regarding my ex-wife who had a lot of control over me. That I allowed to have happen. So this affirmation was, I'm a, no, I'm taking my power back. I'm a confident, serene man. Obviously taking my power back from that of my ex-wife. Okay? And then she made me, uh, or suggested that I would say that uh, 25 times in the morning and 25 times at night, but looking in the mirror and meaning it. Not just 
rattled it off. So I did what she said because I thought, why not? And stunningly, the next time I talked to my wife, my ex-wife, excuse me, and she was saying things that were uh, not very nice to me, out of nowhere, I said, if you can't talk to me with the respect that I deserve, I suggest you hang up because I am. And I hung up the phone. Now, that doesn't sound like such a courageous move. But for a man brought up the way I was with a challenging mom who is fairly critical, I my Achilles heel is smart, challenging women that can be critical at times, right? And just from saying those affirmations, I somehow just responded with so much strength and power. So it's just an example. Um, for There are plenty of great books um, about how to find yourself. Because basically what I did on this journey, and, you know, people can DM me from, may I, get, may I say my website thing? Yeah, go for oh, it. Oh, okay. Because these messages and what you're asking is so brilliant, and it's really what I'm actually going to start a global speaking tour called Surviving the Creative Brain. Because it's very, very, very common amongst intelligent, creative people to have extremely self-limiting thoughts, to basically think you're imposter syndrome, of course. You, you certainly know about that. Uh, and mine was to, a, to the nth degree, because I really thought I was useless, yet I was a multimillionaire. And people were telling me every day, oh, it was great, great show, great work, great work. You know, I had everything going on. But in my quiet moments, in my heart of heart, I thought it was, I knew that like the next week I was going to be exposed and be caught. Like I was a... That's the internal feeling you're dealing with. A hundred percent. I literally believe that the president of some network, this is when I was in my late 30s and on top of the world when it comes to directing television. I mean, and my life was great. Beautiful women, fancy house, Ferraris. I mean, all of the exterior validations that would say that person is successful. I had all that shit, right? But again, on Sunday, uh, when I'm lost, when I'm left in my own thoughts, I would often feel, oh shit, next week's the week. They're going to come up to me. Someone is going to come up to me. Gil, hey, you got a second? Yeah, sure. What's up? You know, we realize um, you're kind of just smoking mirrors. And we don't even think that you're that bright. So we're going to have to let you go. I swear on my parents' life, I used to have those feelings and thoughts when I'd be in the shower in the morning getting ready to go to work. And I was already like, I'd already directed 100 episodes of TV. Big shows. Successful shit. You know? But that was the ingrained belief about myself. So when I ended up working with the, uh, the coach, she basically had me challenge every thought I had about myself with the purpose of reintroducing me to who Gil actually is. Okay? Now you have to understand took a while to find that guy because my entire life, all I've wanted to do is project someone that isn't that guy because I thought that guy was a loser. 
So I had all this bells and whistles. I had a beautiful uh, distraction system set up that I created that would eat, I always keep me busy. And if I was creating or producing anything, painting, photography, artwork, woodworking, anything, directing, I was busy, my creative brain was triggered, and I felt great. As soon as I was not distracted by anything and I just got to hear my actual internal thoughts unguarded, darkness. So she helped me reintroduce myself to me before the age of five. What I came into this world with. Who am I at my core? Or they say your authentic self or the true you, whatever you want to call it. Um, And as I peeled more and more layers away, not only did I gain confidence, which is a beautiful gift for any human being. It's an amazing power. Um, But I actually uh, started to like myself. And now, I know this, it's funny that I would even have any resistance to say this, but I I love the man I've become. I honestly can say that. And and here's an interesting example, because I know you'll get all of this very clearly. I just said, I love the man I've become. I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of the father I am. And it feels fucking great. Okay? In contrast to the very first session I had with my coach, the very first session, you know, I told her my story, la, 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 la. We're having the initial consultation, this and that, this and that. And she, and she said some things that were very, very smart. And she looked at things that in that therapists, traditional therapists, had never said. In fact, she had an approach that was so different. I was just kind of like very intrigued. So I was thinking, oh, she, this woman is very smart, right? She introduced me to a new way of looking at myself as opposed to traditional therapy. And so I'm getting her, I'm getting her. I'm saying, you know what? Let's do this. Okay, I'll sign up. I, I believe in you. And I I like what you're saying. And she said, great. She said, because I can't wait to help you recognize the amazing, powerful man you are. That's what she said. And this is what I said. Don't say that. I wasn't joking around. Do not say that, I said to her. Oh, what? Don't tell me I'm amazing. I I don't want to hear that because I'll tell you the truth. As soon as you said that to me, I lost respect for you. I thought that I had tricked you. And I'm just going to tell you, if we're going to work together, you're not going to be throwing out compliments like that because I'm going to think I'm smarter than you and that I tricked you into believing that I'm an amazing man and then we will be ineffective. That is how sure I was of who I wasn't. You get me? So you've spent all those years indoctrinating your own belief patterns into believing that you are less than you actually are 100% and then constantly questioning every narrative in your external life when it comes up so when anyone gives you praise they say ah oh, amazing movie ah oh, amazing episode of Ellen ah oh, this was good this was good you, you instantly freeze and you feel like you're an imposter in that moment well not as much with work stuff for whatever reason I knew I was good at work okay 
I mean, like, I knew 10 Things was good. Uh, I knew the Ellen coming out episode was good. But it was more about seeing me and seeing me as an intelligent, special guy. I've never, well, even, even regarding the word, I've never given myself the credit. As a matter of fact, someone just said to me yesterday, do you realize how your body of work is so massive? And I go, eh, yeah, yeah. I mean, do you realize how amazing that is? Oh, uh, maybe not. It's, it's very, it's very, um, America, it's American culture to, to boost people up. I mean, you, you, before this episode, you'd listened to a couple of episodes of my podcast. You were saying nice things about, oh, ab- I think ab- you're ab- great. Ab- about that. And I, and I was like, wow, like I didn't, I, I didn't, I was even struggling to, to like, I was like struggling to process how as a Hollywood director listen to my podcast because, <laughs> because, because like this, this is like things that go through your subconscious mind. So what I'm trying to say is that everyone who listens to this and everyone out there struggles with this in some part of their life. hundred percent. There is not, there's not one of us that can, can say that we are a hundred percent whole in every aspect of our life. Of course. And it's my opinion that we're put on this planet to go through life like a TV remote controller. And all we have to do is remove all the buttons that people can press and get a reaction out of us. Ooh, that's and, nice. And when that woman said those words to you, she pressed a button. And Gil gave his gave his normal reaction that he'd given for sixty years because he'd pre-programmed himself to give it from to seven, not believe that to not believe that right. to not believe that. So it's all and about- I'm and I'm saying how amazing and how beautiful, at least for me, that when we ended working together, right? She said, "Gil, you don't need this anymore. Just go be, you know, whatever." And and then we had a love. We became very good friends, by the way. And then we had a lovely talk when we decided let's go our own ways because, you know. Um, And then she asked me, um, how did I feel about myself in that phone call? I said, what do you mean? She says, how do you see yourself? Do you like yourself? I'm just curious. And I said, well, I kind of believe. And then I said, I'm an amazing man, and I lost it. I think it was the first time in my life where I actually said something so positive and believed it. I lost it. Had you always been positive to everyone externally other than yourself, or were you sometimes projecting negativity throughout your career on on actors, on other people? Positive out. So, so to the outside world, you look fully whole, you look all encompassed and everything's sweet. 100%. But inside, feel something's missing. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a very common, you know, imposter so, syndrome. So, so common. Is so incredibly common. And I've actually done uh, quite a bit of research about this because I recognized at a young age, like in my mid-20s, that... I believed, at least, that there was a direct correlation between intelligence, creativity, depression, fear, and suicidal ideation. I believed that to be true. Didn't say anything about it. I just was like, because I've lived it. But all of my friends growing up in this business are all smart, talented, interesting, creative people, right? Well, they all have those same feelings because you know we became friends so they would say yeah man, i feel that way i feel that way hey, hey. um and then it's only recently 
that um, that uh, belief of mine has become medically proven. They have medically proven that intelligent, creative people, their brains are wired differently than that of a, uh, what do they call it? Neuro... Neuroplasticity. No, neurotypical. Than a neurotypical brain. A neurotypical brain versus a a very bright, or bright, (laughs) don't want to give myself credit, Um, a highly creative brain is wired differently. Quick one for you guys. This podcast is sponsored by contentremover.com. As many of you are probably aware... I set up contentremoval.com in 2017 to help people remove all forms of online content. And I've looked after some of the biggest names and brands in the world doing it. And I would love to help you if you're struggling. If you're struggling to remove images, videos, search results, fake accounts, or anything online, go to contentremoval.com and we'll help you today. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about yourself. (laughs) Go on. on, Here we go. Here we go. No, no, no. It's good. It's, It's fascinating. And I think you might go, oh my God, that's true. Okay. So when I was doing this research about it, proving what I believe for the last 40 years, but just seeing it medically, it's called latent inhibition something. It's it's something in the highly creative brain, right, that actually isn't working properly. It's a filter that a neurotypical brain has that a highly creative brain has to a much lesser degree. Here's the thing. What a creative brain has going on at the same time is a tremendous amount of information, right? So when a creative brain looks at that car, or like, for example, when I'm talking to you, a neurotypical brain, well, there are no distractions. All I hear is you and I'm focused on you and that's it. But if you and I are outside with a neurotypical brain, I could, I could, eliminate all thoughts and focus on you. The highly creative brain sees the light, the temperature, the wind, the thing, the sound of that car. Oh, that's a Porsche. This this thing. There's tons of information constantly flooding your brain. Now, here's the interesting thing. Have Have you ever thought to yourself, God, I couldn't sleep last night. I couldn't turn my mind off. Yeah. How many times have you said that? 57,000. Fifty-seven thousand. That's a fucking good number. That's such a random number. Let's go to Vegas. Um, it's because you have that deficiency of the filter, right? But here's the interesting part of the filter: is that it is also where brilliant, original, creative thoughts come from. That is the spark of imagination. And creativity, because really creative, bright people, okay, have this ability. They they talk about three sections of the brain, whereas the normal brain uses two and it has an idea. It uses two. Uh, Medically, we use three. And what happens is the reason where those original ideas come from is because you're getting so many different perspectives of the same thought. 16 different perspectives of the same thought. And you go, oh, wouldn't it be cool if that's where creativity comes from? That's where brilliance comes from. Now, um, a brilliance of, of original thought. When I you know, finally got to read this, it's like, it's a gift. 
the, the noise that I've always hated is a gift. It's just tons of information which can seem exhausting. My whole life, dude. Oh, that's, I've reframed I, it. I reframed it because I realized, oh, that's my power. That's my gift. It's all that, all those different perspectives of the same thing that people just see one perspective of. So the judgment that people have on themselves that listen to this is their gift. Yes. Look at you. And, um, and that self-judgment, judgment, excuse me, is just, is part of, unfortunately, the mechanism. As a matter of fact, it said, I wish I would have brought the article. Um, it said that um, uh, cre- creative people, uh, creative intelligent brains, uh, and that could be a, tr- a lot of people. Because most people won't follow their passion because they have to put food on the table. It's the normal restriction of life, unfortunately. I mean, God bless the people that go, you know what? I'm 40. I'm a lawyer. I'm not happy. I want to fucking paint. Go paint. If that's your passion, go do that. You know what I'm saying? Um, But people won't give themselves that gift because it's fear. Fear stops everything, obviously. Um, But there is a direct correlation especially in the really great creative minds between depression, fear, suicidal ideation, and yes, uh, schizophrenia, believe it or not. There's a direct, you can, it's mathematical numbers, some crazy bright, crazy off the charts. Uh, look at all the, the famous uh, artists that have committed suicide. Well, we, we have a classic example with one of your artists is Heath Ledger. Oh. Well, I don't think that was suicide, though. Um, and, and I don't. And, and let me tell you why I don't think that was suicide. Okay? Because I became, obviously, very good friends with Heath. Or, well, as good as you can become in a year. And um, a huge fan of him as a human. Wow, what a special man he was. Okay, fine. Um, when we were shooting... I remember even on day three, I pulled him aside and I said, Heath, you're not going to know what hit you when this film comes out. What do you mean? I said, your life is going to change overnight. You're going to get a million dollars for your next movie. No. Yes. This is something I know. This is what I do for a living. And all I'm saying to you is keep your fucking head screwed on. Because all of a sudden, there's going to be a whole bunch of new friends. And they're going to tell you you're so great because they want to be close to you. Because you're going to be a big fucking star. And I said, don't listen to the bullshit. Hang with your old friends. Right? Don't get involved with drugs. And just keep your feet on the ground. Because you're an incredibly, beautifully grounded, homeschooled young man. Don't lose that. Because I see it happen all the time. And one of the amazing things about Heath, his response, normally a 17-year-old kid, what's he going to say to that from a, from a, a known director? Really? You really think I'm going to get a million dollars? That's what 99% of all kids would say. I'm going to be rich? Oh, my God. He said, you know what? Let's not worry about what's in the future. Let's focus on how I can be great today. Oh, my God. When he said that to me, I thought, oh, 
who are you? Like, you're such an old soul. It's crazy, right? Now, wipe two, uh, 10 days before Heath died, I had just finished writing a movie with the intention of having Heath star in it. And so I went to call him, and the number, you know, it was 20 years later, and the number was no longer good, the number that I had for Heath. So I called his agent, who I know, and I said, hey, Steve, can you do me a favor? Um, uh, I want, have Heath call me, because I'm so excited I finally finished this movie, and I just can't wait for him to read it and hear his thoughts. And he said, oh, he said, Gil, Heath loves you. He would love to work with you again, right? I said, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm, that's great. And he said, but he made me promise that he could not accept any phone calls until he was done shooting this big movie he's doing. And I said, oh, what, what movie is he doing? <laughs> I didn't even know. And he said, he's doing Batman. He's playing the Joker. I said, whoa, that's so cool. He said, yeah, but Heath made me promise he would get absolutely no work calls because he's having so much difficulty turning off the character after he leaves set. He can't sleep. Really? And he said, yeah, he's just so into it. He's invested so much of himself in the Joker character that he helped create, right, that he can't turn off the noise at night. So he's having to take sleeping pills and to help him sleep. Ten days later, he was dead. Not from a drug overdose, but from the drugs that he was taking shut down his respiratory system and killed him. So I, for one, don't believe in a million years that he intentionally committed suicide. He, he didn't. I mean, I heard ten days before he wouldn't even take a phone call from hopefully one of his favorite directors because he couldn't sleep at night. He was having tremendous difficulty sleeping and was having to take drugs just to sleep at night, which, he's, which Steve, his agent, said he hates doing because he's not a drug guy. He wasn't a drug guy when we did the movie. So that's why I found it to be even more tragic. Is it was, it was, I mean, look, suicide, of course, is tragic. But for someone just trying to sleep, like Michael Jackson, you know, Michael Jackson wasn't trying to kill himself. He was just take, he just got, unfortunately, in that loop of taking such powerful medication that eventually it just, Shut them down. Why do you think that so many people from Hollywood end up taking an early demise in so, in some way or another? Do you know what I mean? Is it just the pressure of this place, the 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 energy that comes here, that the the stuff you have to bring in order to be successful in this environment? I don't think it's that at all. I think it's the same reason why I tried to take my life at twenty nine, because again, there is direct correlation in my opinion, and now medically proven, highly intelligent, type A, creative people have a propensity towards depression. It's a weird, like, you, you know, if you could get all that creativity and intelligence, like a la carte, <laughs> but uh, that's not the way it works. If you're given those gifts, you're also screwed. It's true. I, I, and... Obviously, I'm not a doctor. I have lived these feelings. I have so many friends that say I feel the same way. 
It's be, it's not because they're in this business. It's because it's because of the way they're wired. They gravitated towards this business, right? right. And then, you know, I mean, I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman. How sad is that? I mean, it's all sad. I mean, any type of a suicide is sad, but depression is it's it's linked. It's just you have to take the good with the bad. Personally. Even though I have had some extremely challenging years and obviously some, well, I died in Las Vegas. So, you know, obviously some dark times. <laughs> um, I wouldn't trade this black and white living for anything. For anything. I don't want to live in the gray. And now, thank heavens, I've learned how to manage it. Because I'm not running from Gil Younger anymore or who I believed Gil Younger was. Now I'm embracing that guy because I finally realized, oh, by myself, on my own, off a set, when no one knows me, I like me. That's a ginormous shift in my life. It's amazing. It's amazing to have you on here and, you know, saying that, the biggest pivotal pinnacle thing in your life is to, is to actually love yourself is to actually be happy within yourself that's been the biggest thing in your career from what it sounds like to me it's the biggest thing in my life um and then if you think about it you know first of all how many people get that opportunity to ever feel that way about themselves if they really really truly ask themselves because you ask a lot of people on the street yeah i love myself okay fine um, but you know, I, I definitely, it's yet another gift I've received before death. And, but what I realize now, isn't it all about that? Isn't everything about self-love? Cause think about it. If you're operating from a place of self-love, okay, I know it sounds a little corny to some people and just bear with me. Okay. Let me rephrase for those that don't like to hear the word self-love. If you're operating from a place of you truly believe in yourself, you're a confident human being and you, you live honorably, okay? Every decision you make is going to come from a place of love instead of fear. Therefore, every decision you make is going to be the better one. It's amazing the power of simply recognizing who you truly are as a, as a perfect human being and embracing that. Are you kidding me? Everything is better. Everything is better in my life. Granted, I've had tr crazy success, and I'm not trying to say at all that, ooh, poor Gulo is blue. I wasn't blue. I had a wild ride. Yes, you know, interspersed with some very, very dark times. But also, in general, my life is dream life. You know what I mean? I mean, I know that. I've been blessed millions of times. But, um, but the quality of my life now, not working, just sitting in my backyard, you know, just hanging out until I go want to go do something. I know this sounds funny, but there's a... It's just so incredibly relaxing and satisfying. I just never knew it. As a matter of fact, after I had a couple breakthroughs with uh, this coach that I worked with, one in particular, 
I put myself in, in a very difficult situation that was very challenging for me intentionally to see if I could overcome this fear. And I did. Okay, fine. So it was a four-day personal test, or whatever you want to call it, or quest is a better word. And I pushed through, and it was the results were phenomenal and still are with me today. I come home from this four-day thing, I walked down the stairs the next morning and uh, I was cutting across the living room, going to the kitchen to make breakfast or something. And I stopped and I went, what? What is that? What's that sound? And I'm looking around. Is it the, is it the fridge humming? Did I leave a fan on somewhere? And I'm literally, I'm stopped cold and I'm trying to think, what's, what's that noise? And you know what the noise was? Silence. Silence. It was the first time I was conscious of not having that constant humming of thoughts in my brain. You get me? Yeah. The first time you'd ever found peace. Yes. It was so profound that it stopped me in my tracks because I was, it was so unfamiliar. And then when I realized, oh, that's what it's, that's what life can sound like. It literally felt like if you were an electric car, okay? Or just if you were you, but whatever, for whatever reason, you have a constant churning, a very low level churning of anxiety your whole life. Information, lots of noise, lots of thinking, lots of noise. Oh, focus, lots of noise, right? Your whole life, just imagine if you got unplugged. That's what it felt. I felt like I got unplugged in a good way. The first time that ever happened to me was, was when I did this controlled mushroom journey. Ah. And, it, and it, this journey I did changed my life because it took me out of my body and out of my head for a moment and allowed me to see my whole self. Wow. I've heard, I've heard so of this. It's, 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 the only way I can describe it is I've died and then refound myself. Through, through, and this happens over, over, over hours, but what seems like 20 minutes. Yeah. When you're in it, it feels like you've gone for five minutes, but you, but this is over hours. And I saw all of life. I saw how I had looked at things from a certain perspective, but seen such a bigger picture. Mm. It's like I took the blinkers off my eyes and been able to see the full spectrum of my vision for once. Oh, nice. And all the colors were, were different and, and everything. And it just allowed me to go, do you know what? Wow. That's, that's, that is some powerful shit. Yeah. And I've heard this a lot and, um, about these mushroom journeys, the hero journey is what they call it or whatever you call yeah. it. And, uh, you know, ayahuasca and, but mushrooms in particular, I've heard can be an earth changing, you know, uh, experience. And I ha- although I have not, I have done mushrooms kind of like it. Um, but, uh, I haven't done that. Uh, like a guided four gram go to the moon. But all of my friends that have done it, and there's a lot of them, had a very similar revelation. Isn't that interesting? It's, it's, it, it, in, in my opinion, that plant medicine calls you when you're ready to, for, to receive it. So you have to start with breath work. You have to start with meditation in mm. order to get in order to get yourself to the to the spiritual involvement enough and quiet the mind enough to be able to hear the intuition. 
to start with. And once you're at that level, mushrooms will call you. I love what you're saying. They it's, call you forward. Yeah, no, it's true. Because one of the things, you know, you asked me a question a while ago about what kind of advice would I give, you know, to someone who's suffering. Um, and although it's only been recently that I could actually meditate, I do my very best to meditate every day. I miss certain days. But I, it's funny. And usually the days I miss is when I go, no, I got too much to do. I, can't, I, can't, I don't have time to meditate. <laughs> That's when you need to I meditate. I know, I know. I Trust me, I know. But I find myself like, you know, I start to go outside to put the headphones on. I listen to, I listen to Headspace. I don't know if, you know. But uh, I'm sure there's many different meditation apps. Um, but I listen to Headspace or my coach, you know, because I record every session we have. And dude, now that I'm good at it, un believable the change so i'm going to add to the answer earlier um to the people that are kind of internally suffering one thing that has worked for me is allowing myself it's hard in the beginning it's hard because your brain i mean i can remember very easily and hopefully people will hear this I remember when I started with Headspace, you know, let's say it's a 10-minute meditation, right? And then the way Headspace is lined up, it's the first two minutes are him talking about a, a concept for the day, right? Yeah. Two minutes. I can honestly say, without exaggerating, the first couple months that I would meditate, I'd have to go back for those first two minutes anywhere 10 to 15 times. Because I would drift off and think about something else. Why? Because of all the fucking talking going on upstairs. You know, he's saying, okay, self-love, the thing. And next thing I know, oh, I want to get those new tires. And then I go, ah, fuck, damn it. And then I would go back because I'm a good student. If I want to learn, I'm a very good student, right? I'm very focused. And I just, you know, I take it, I take my mental health seriously. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. And I just knew that, I should, if I can't dedicate 10 freaking minutes to my own heart and mind, come on, dude, you got to. So I would raise the bar or the expectation of myself to be able to be quiet and just fucking listen. It's the whole point of it anyway, right? And literally almost, and I'd say, come on, Gil, you don't need to worry about the car. You can, you can look at tires later. Go back, right? 15 seconds in, I'm thinking about something else. Like in the beginning, in the first few months, literally 10 to 15 times, I'd have to go through that two-minute thing until, because those are the standards I put for myself, until I could force myself to be quiet enough to listen to some guy for 10 minutes without interjecting all my millions of thoughts, right? Um and one of the gifts, by the way, that he talks about or the Headspace app talks about, and again, this is something I'm sure you know all too well, is when you do have a thought, let's say you're trying to meditate, right? And a thought goes by you, note it is what he said. Just go, oh, yeah, there's a thought about cars, right? And then let it go. Let the thought go like a cloud, like they're just passing thoughts because as you then know, because you've done it quite a, quite a long time, you know this, we are not our thoughts and we are not our feelings, correct? 
And if we're totally conscious, we are just awareness. And when you can separate yourself from all these dark thoughts you're telling yourself, wow, life changes. So now, and for the beginners, when you hear a thought, and let's say you're listening to some headspace or whatever app you choose, it doesn't matter. And, oh, oh, I got distracted. I forgot I got to do the laundry. Okay, whatever the thought is. Just go, oh, okay, that's just the thought about laundry. Let it go. And I just, I, in my mind, I kind of throw it to the left. It's, and, it's don't judge yourself. Yeah, don't judge yourself and don't attach yourself to thoughts. Because that's how you get off track. That's how when you've, when I've heard you speak to some extremely talented, successful athletes, their focus on training is a perfect analogy to, at least for me, when I'm focusing on the simple thing of meditation, you would think it's very easy to shut the fuck up and listen. One would think it's, who can't do that? Or listen to your breath for, two, for 10 minutes? It sounds like a no-brainer. So I would, and one of the things I do is I count. Inhale one, exhale two. Inhale three, exhale four. And you know that. I can't tell you, even today now. I'll go one, two, three. Oh, I like those sneakers. Yeah, those are cool. Maybe I'll get another pair of those. What number was it? Oh, fuck, I got to start over. It's noisy up there. But once you become aware of the noise and you learn how to separate yourself, there you go, and learn how to separate yourself from it and just observe it. I even sometimes laugh about how busy it is up there. It's, it's like we as humans don't know how critical we are of our own selves. And it's our, well own, it's, it's our own critical thoughts that create chaos in our reality that we choose to live. Beautifully said. It's, it, it's, it's simply like if you can control being at peace with knowing that you can stray off a certain path and still return to the path without the judgment of you stepping off the path, yes. that is the true art of freedom of expression and freedom of your mind. Wow. You're very smart. I knew you were because <laughs> I listened to a number of your podcasts. Um, there is that little thing called compassionate forgiveness which um, is uh, relatively new to me because I, wow, my whole life I've judged myself so harshly. Like if I think I upset someone that I like, I just, I hate myself. Not anymore, but it would, it would be shame-induced. I would just be shamed. How could I hurt that person's feelings? Where did shame first come up for you? Whoa. Wow, that's a good question, dude. Come on. Just the question alone is, that's so, that's like a brilliant fucking question. Wow. It's a cut through question. I mean, I'm looking at Walter Cronkite. I'm looking at, uh, what's her name? The, that very, very famous interviewing woman, uh, Barbara, Barbara, um, Barbara, um, I'm drawing a blank because I'm not that smart. Um, anyway, that's a great question. Here's when, I mean, I, you know, my immediate go-to for the answer is when I was a kid, I, again, I had an older brother, I still do, and, but I clearly got the message from my mom, Gil is too much. 
too noisy, too energized, too this, too that, always, always do. I mean, and the, the message I got, oh, that almost made me cry. The message I got that a woman would never love me unless I toned myself down. So the clear message was be less gill. That's a brutal message to get as a child. Because what you would hope, and, and look, I'm not upset with my parents. They did the best they could. And also, also, it was the 50s. I was born in 54. You know, I know, I know. I look fucking good, don't I? Thank you. Um, so, you know, my parents didn't understand a kid like me. My dad did the corporate ladder just like people did. My mom was a nurse. Um, and all of a sudden, this kid comes in entertaining, cracking jokes, and blah, 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 blah. And it was just too much for them. They did not know what to do with all that energy. So they tried to squash me. Yeah. So the messaging, the internal messaging, i.e. the shame, I'm too much. But one of the ways that you squash yourself still to this day that I've noticed as a pattern on this podcast Uh-oh. is that you say the words... I'm not so smart after a few... Different, I was joking. Uh, that was stupid. Uh, after, but but, but you've said it five times on this podcast. Oh, yeah. So, so to say that is when you, when you say that yes, to yes. yourself, you are reaffirming in your own, in your own mind that you're you not that smart, smart, smart. So I'm just challenging the narrative because the whole point is... I appreciate it. I, and, the reason, and the reason I'm saying that on here is not to, not to make you feel any, any less than yourself. It's to, it's to make the audience understand that at no point in your life mm. have you ever got it fully figured and... There is patterns in in the way that I speak. There are patterns in the way that you speak. And there sure. are patterns in the way that you are speaking to yourselves right now in your car, sitting, listening to this. There are patterns you are speaking to yourself that are disempowering your growth. And you've got to identify those patterns, like the one that we've just identified here, and then remove them as quickly as possible because that is a button and that creates a trigger and that creates a stress response. And if you can get that out of your life, you can move yourself forward in all areas. And it's And it all... First of all, again, brilliant observation. A couple of those, I'm not that smart. I was trying to be ironic and sarcastic. I was trying to be funny. But, but, but what's behind it is exactly what you said. And it's funny. I spoke to my coach, who I think is brilliant, uh, just a few weeks ago about something I found challenging. And uh, it was an old... I, I, I'm trying not to say wound because I, I don't want to be like, okay, fine. It's an old uh, wound that I thought I made somebody angry with me, particularly a woman. I thought I disappointed a woman because that, of course, is part of my messaging with my mom, blah, blah. Now, I haven't had a strong reaction from that feeling in years. And all of a sudden, I got slammed by this, oh, my God, I, I really did something stupid and I, sh- I was too impulsive and now she's going to be upset. Okay, fine. So I called, I uh, happened to call my coach and I told her, I said, you know, these last two years have been very challenging for me and this and that. And I, I seem to have lost my flow and my creative drive. And, and she said, stop. <laughs> what? <laughs> she's awesome. Stop. Stop what? Why are you arguing for what you aren't? You're supporting, you're saying the things right now that are enforcing the things that you can't do. How about talking about the things that are your opportunities to achieve? It's exactly what you just said. And I went, wow, 
I never really thought of it that way. She said, you're talking about, you know, how, how you, the last two years you've been this, you've been struggling with drive and, and, and different things. I don't want to hear about that. Today's today. You know, it was, it was so interesting. I'm just saying it, it's identical to what you said. And people think, oh, that's ridiculous. Or people that haven't been exposed to, you know, working on themselves, right? With a good teacher, um, because people used to say to me all the time, Gil, why do you make jokes like that? Why do you make self-deprecating jokes about yourself? I said, they're funny. Do you, do you really think they're funny? Or, or, or is that something deeper there? And that is the, that there is the question. There you go. So when you were saying that pattern of, of you know, those words that you put, that I'm not even going to repeat them, but when you were saying yeah. the pattern of those words, uh-huh. and, you, and you say it, you know, you probably say it every, every 10 minutes through this interview. Oh, my God. As, as a, as a, as a, or every 10 and 15 minutes. It's like... Even though, even though consciously, yep. Gil doesn't believe it consciously. No, correct. But subconsciously, you're telling yourself that it's the truth. Because I'll tell you why. Because that is a very, and thank you for pointing it out. And now I hate myself again. And I, <laughs> don't, don't be. I'm going back to therapy because of this fucking interview. Um, no, it's a perfect example. And this is going to go right into the, your purpose for doing this podcast, which I love and support. That's the reason I'm here. Making those little jokes, which you just said, why are you reinforcing things negative about yourself? Very smart. Why? Because those are very, very deeply ingrained patterns that I need to constantly remind myself to let go of break to break that is it that it's it's the whole this the reason i'm wanted to speak with you because my life now i have not certainly it's always a journey i'm you know i'm always going to slip i call it slipping off track um but you know all of a sudden i'm uncomfortable and i'm uncomfortable and i'm uncomfortable for like three days yet i know now i've learned the tools if i feel anxiety or if i feel sad or if i feel whatever I have the tools now to go, Gil, come on, let's do some journaling. Let's write. Let's meditate. Let's uh, write down 10 things that uh, you love about yourself. Write down five things you're grateful for today. I, I know the tools. I have the tools. Yet, the patterns are so deeply ingrained to judge myself negatively from when I was a kid. They're so deeply ingrained. It's like, do you ride motorcycles? No, but it's like cart tracks. It's like, it's cart tracks, uh, per- deep, deeply ingrained in the ground. You know, That's in, exactly in, in what dry, I was going to say with a motorcycle. In, in, in dry mud or a cross rock, they're deeply ingrained. Yes. And it's like, all, the only opportunity that you have then is if you can't fully remove them, which a lot of some wounds you'll never fully remove. Correct. But if you give yourself enough tools, you'll always have a tool in your arsenal to pull out and go, I can look at this objectively in a different way than what I look at it now. Yes. And here, and here's the gift in this type of work that I've been doing and for your listeners, and I, I hope, and it still goes back to that question, how can I help you? How can I help people that are sad or whatever, having, you know, painful thoughts? Um, it's the awareness. I call them red flags now. It's amazing to me, for example... Uh, I have become so aware, not 100% of the time, because I just made that little thing, I did that five times, right? 
But the awareness of, oh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. What's that about? Oh, I'll cover it with this sentence. I'll cover it with it. Usually for me, it's with a joke. Yeah. Um, and so it's these patterns that I've worked hard to break. I love it. Here's a perfect one for me. I'm at um, a supermarket. Well, people don't know what Air One is outside of LA, but a, 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 it's, it's a very expensive supermarket where it seems like everyone is gorgeous. It's seriously, <laughs> I'm not even joking. I am the ugliest, oldest person there. I'm surprised they let me in. Okay. And I'm at Air One, right? And I'm getting ready to check out. And this is how Gil Younger's brain works. And I see some beautiful girl on aisle six. And I'm already in line. And automatically, I don't even have control over it. I just start walking down the aisle to talk to the girl. Okay? Because that's my thing. That was my always my go-to to make myself feel like I was special. Yeah, the women, yeah. The women, because I happen to be uh, charming. But the difference now is... I'll look and I go, oh my God, she's beautiful, but I don't walk because I just go, okay, Gil, you want to talk to that girl? You want to get her phone number? Then you're going to take her out and you realize you have nothing in common with her and then you wasted $300 and, you know, it's, I can now not just respond. Discernment. Yeah, discernment. Impulse control is a big one for me. Impulse control. But I never would have recognized that I even had that pattern had I not done the work I've done on myself. I go, oh. And then I guess, okay, well, she's beautiful. There you go. You know, know, to stop myself from an old pattern. Because the old patterns, even though they might make you sad, they're so familiar, it's staggering. It's staggering how familiar they are. Like just a couple weeks ago, and I was just saying a minute ago, when I was really, I was really upset with myself because I thought I hurt my writing partner's feelings. I did not include her in a decision, and with any partner, I always include my people in the decision making. It's not like I'm, you know, I'm the lead man. So anyway, I just did what I think is not so cool, and uh, just out of respect for her, and you know, I I spent two three days. Beating myself up. Beating myself up. I'm 68. I can still fall back into that pattern. Why? Because it's so familiar. That shame of mistreating someone and hurting someone's feelings was so familiar, it took me two and a half, three days to go, Gil, what's the truth? What's the truth? Are you a bad person, Gil? No. Did you do something? Would you intentionally do something to hurt your friend, Naya? No. Do you genuinely try to inspire people? Yes. Do you believe you're a good human being? Yes. What's the truth? It's a great question to ask yourself when you're questioning yourself. What's the truth? Because we always judge ourselves way more harshly than the reality. The reality is, oh, okay, just call your friend and say, hey, dude, I realized the other day you might not even remember, but I, I'm sorry if I was a little bit rude. I was really hungry. It's that simple. Yet someone like me with those patterns that are so deeply, I can be, oh, my God, he thinks I'm an asshole. He hasn't called me in three days. Why hasn't he called me? Oh, he's mad at me. He's mad at me. You know, they call it the Jack story in entertainment circles. But 
So if you can stop yourself, okay, wait, what's the truth? Because if I always ask myself, what's the truth? It turns out, if I'm honest with myself, I, it turns out, yeah, of course I make mistakes, but uh, there is not a bone in my body, I believe, that is a bad guy. I honestly believe that. I mean, that might Your sound... subconscious mind that sometimes may tell yourself that you are. Because I was so, told that growing up. Because you, Yeah. So all these, all these patterns that you just have to be able to identify where this is coming from, which is a pattern of your past, and which pattern of your past are you projecting over your future environment. You say things beautifully. No, that's, it's, it, it's perfectly said. You know, I mentioned if anyone does want to reach out to me, <clears throat> I have a, um, uh, a company, an online company. I mean, yes, I'm a writer and director, and I've got a couple movies on deck, and there's a lot of amazing things. And I'm actually starting a global speaking tour about this, surviving the creative brain and helping actors. I, I want to help actors learn the proper way to audition and deliver an authentic performance, okay? It's, they don't know. Because, and I can say that with confidence, I've worked with thousands of actors, but it's, it's that thing that we talked about earlier, that difficult self-limiting thoughts cause actors to look outside themselves for the perfect performance. Rather than looking within. Thank you. It's that simple. But, but, but because they don't but this, trust themselves. They don't believe they're special. But your, but your company might just talk to actors. But that narrative that you've just exposed is to the is, world. It is to the world. It's to the it, world. It's every, it's every one of us that, that's in this podcast right now. It's every one of us that's listening to the podcast right yep. now. It's like it's always, it's always everyone's looking for that external thing that's going to make them happy. That that Rolex yep. watch, that Lamborghini, yep. that Playboy model, right? Rara, and everything else that you think exterior outside of you. Nothing outside of you will ever will ever cover or mask an interior inferiority that you feel inside yourself 3000 percent, and and if you are having self-limiting thoughts most of the world has it whether they realize it or not um then you're not operating at your full potential it's very simple if you're operating from a place of fear you're not going to be as good it's like sports people you're an athlete um, it's like when I, I play golf, it's this simple when I'm trying to steer the ball and I got to smash it and I got to, and I got to, eh, eh, I fuck up. But when I just get loose and I have one swing thought, they call it swing through the ball like a broom. What is the best way that you know of getting into flow in the fastest way possible? Because obviously as a writer, you, you, you have to get into flow real quickly as a director, you have to get yeah. into flow real quickly. There must be something that you do that just switches you on. What is that? Well, the, there's a, there is a switch in me, and I can literally feel it. It's when, um, when I'm being creative, I'm high. Literally, when I'm being creative, when I'm making a creative decision, it could be woodworking. It could be, how many coats do I want to put on this? How smooth do I need it to be? What's sandpaper? It can be anything that's creative for me, the world goes away. Yeah, It's, it's probably the reason I was a photographer as, at a young age. Because as a photographer, you're, 
just the world goes away. I don't know how to explain it. I mean, six, seven hours can go by. I can be shooting pictures. I don't even know it. It's like, oh, I guess I forgot to eat. You know, when I allow myself to lead with my creative brain, then I am my most effective. If I'm doing a task that's not particularly fun, um, then the noise can get in, right? Um, and the, the reason, for example, with actors, and it can be applied to anything, the answer is so simple. I mean, if you have the basic ability to act, and what I, what I do with my actors is I inspire them and I help them to build confidence that they've never had before. I mean, the, the thank yous I've received on video even of how not only did I change their performance and their career, I've never been so confident in my life. Because if you make someone believe in their own self, everything gets better. Everything in their life gets better. Everything. How you relate in your, it's, it's, it's a simple little gift. If you can actually recognize who you really are, not who your aunt or your uncle or your mom or your dad or your ex-boyfriend thinks, if you can just get the noise away and slowly bring yourself in to see who you really are, oh, everything changes. So what's, what's the best way for people to get in contact if, if they want to do one of your workshops? If, if they want to Oh, do- yeah. Um, well, I have the name of my online company is called The Breakthrough Company, but I'll spell it because it's... It's anyway, breakthrough is B R E A K T H R U company.com. Right. Right. And they can, and they can go there and they can experience. Your you can see the website and all kinds of stuff. And, and also because, you know, my mission in life, I know this sounds maybe grandiose. I don't care. My mission is to touch as many intelligent, creative people as I possibly can before I'm done and give them the gift of self-acceptance and self-love that took me 50 years to learn. I don't want you, meaning the audience, any 20-year-old actor, 50, 60-year-old actor, 12-year-old actor, I don't want them to wait the 50 years of self-doubt by learning how to manage it and buffering it and you're like a fucking ping-pong ball. Right, I have been directly there. I want it. I want them. I want to impart the gift that I have finally realized onto them, so they don't have to spend the fifty years with self judgment. Because I'm telling you, the life experience is so much richer. And as an actor, your your performances will soar, soar. Because here's the here's the basics about just this acting thing. What do I look for in an audition? An authentic performance okay fair enough how can you deliver an authentic performance if you the way you prepare is analyzing the character what's the moment before what's the moment after what's the snapshot what's this what was the kid's relationship with his mother and how does that impact his relationship with his girl you know all the stuff that they teach i'm not saying hey you know learn what you learn but i'm saying it's all thinking it's all external thinking to find the truth of a character well, let me tell you something. The character is fake. It's made up by some writer. And here you are, you know, you're putting all of these life experiences and character traits on top of a made-up character. 
using your mind. No. When you're thinking, you're already disconnected from your truth. All I want to know as a director, I want to see a piece of you. I want to see a piece of Frankie. Seriously, at the bottom line, I know this is going to sound nuts to actors that haven't worked with me, is if you were reading a scene, if you're an actor, I know you said you want to be in my oil rig movie. I'm considering it. I'm considering it. You, you do have a gift, and you are bald, So and, and, and he's Australian, so I'm saying he's, uh, it's an amazing movie. But um, if you, what do I look for when I go into an audition? Nothing. I don't have any preconceived ideas about how I want that guy to be played. I want you to show me something that I find compelling and it emotionally touches me. How can you possibly be authentic and compelling and emotionally resonate with me if it's all made up? It's, if it's all through analysis, which is the way most acting is taught. Okay? Here's what I tell my... feel it. Yes, and it's so simple. Dig this. If you read a scene, right? You're an actor, and you're going to read for me. You're nervous because, you know, I'm Lord. I'm just kidding. Um... But you're going to read for me, right? And let's say the thing is about um, you cook dinner for your girlfriend, the scene. You cook dinner for your girlfriend. You've cut to the clock. It's 11 o'clock. Obviously, she's come home like three hours late. You suspect she's cheating on you. And then, it's, then it has the scene. Well, the first thing it says, he screams. He yells. He slams the table, right? No. Don't pay attention to any of that. Here's what I try to train my actors to do, and they do it but it's scary at first. Read the scene once and then ask yourself how you'd feel. What would I do? If I suspected my girl was three hours late, how would I, Gil Younger, how would I, Frankie Lee, relate to that girl? Because everyone's different. And that is the true authentic performance. There you go. What you're looking because for. the superpower of every actor, whether they believe it or not, is their own life experience. And it will also guarantee you a unique audition. I mean, the reason I started doing this, this whole workshop thing is just to help actors because I love them because nine out of ten actors sound the same in an audition. Because they're reading the script. They're not feeling the script. And they're looking for all the stage directions and they're all basically trained the same. Because they all come from the same school of acting. That is correct. And none of the schools of acting... I shouldn't say none. That's, that's foolish to say that. But... Every single person that's been in my workshops said I've never been in a class like this. I wonder why. Because as far as I know, I'm the only actual working director who's teaching actors how to audition. So acting has been taught from an analytical point of view rather than a feeling. Beautifully said. And how can you analyze a feeling? And then project that. How can you connect with analytics? Yes, with yourself, with your unique self no what i'm saying is how can the how, if 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 i'm oh, watching, I see what you're if, saying. if i'm if i'm the audience and i'm watching an analytical actor i can't connect with an analytical actor the best pieces of and best performances whether it's west end whether it's cinema yeah. whether it's whether it's tv show yep. you connect with the character because you feel something inherently in you that the character is portraying because they feel it within themselves so well said i am making you know my actors not only are they grateful um, which makes me, of course, feel great. They all say, 
that I, their, their confidence has changed. Their relationship has changed. Oh, all of a sudden, all these guys are coming on to me. It's like, I don't know. I was invisible before because what I want to do is because I love these creative people because I am one and I want to give them the inspiration and the, the, the support that I wished I had when I was a young kid. Right? I didn't believe in myself. Clearly. And every actor should. Because they've been given a gift. Just show who you are. It's staggering. And then your rehearsal times will go from four hours getting ready for an audition to an hour at the most. Because all you've got to do is read it once and then interpret rather than act How it. would I behave in that situation? So acting, then, to me, from what I've learned from you now, is, is, is an, acting is an interpretation of the script in, in one read through your lens through my lens through, through your my experience lens. doesn't through, have to be one read but yes so, so how, how do you yeah. see that character how would you frankie lee play that character yeah, yeah, yeah. and then and because that will ensure one thing you will deliver a performance unique to only you right and probably authentic and then it's up to the director to shape what you presented. But I'm going to tell you, the people that come in and deliver an authentic performance, the few people that come in, uh, it's clearly a piece of them. And they didn't spend five hours rehearsing and thinking and doing and the smile and the quirk. and Because it's all based on something that's fake. It's all based on an imaginary character. It's blowing my mind how how much simpler that would be for an actor to to implement as well. Gil, you've 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 revolutionised the way that people are going to think about acting. There, that's in, my in, ambition. In, in essence, and and I think there's so many powerful things that we've put together in this in this episode that I think will change the way that people think about themselves. That's my there, hope. But if there's one piece of wisdom, and you can only leave one piece. If you're checking out of the world tomorrow and you can only leave one piece of advice for this, everyone in this audience that they could implement in their life today that's going to move them dramatically forward in their life, what would it be? Start on your path towards self-love. Love it. Start on your path towards self-love. Um, because everyone can easily say, oh, I love myself. Mm-mm. It's, it's, that's not how it works. You've got to do the work. You've got to do the uncovering. And... And some of that work is terrifying because I even said, I'm sorry, I know you wanted a bullet point, but I even said to my coach when I committed, when I committed because I believed she was brilliant and could help me, and I said to her, what happens if I spend a year with you and a ridiculous amount of dollars and I finally discover and I get to meet who the real Gil is and I think he's a fucking loser, then what? Because that was my fear. Like, I'm going to spend all this work and time to discover what I already knew. That was my fear, right? Because I was in those patterns. And she literally laughed. She said, there's not a chance that's going to happen. With so much confidence, I loved it. You know, and she was right. If you take the time to unravel the bullshit story that you created from the reflections of all those around you, you're going to be amazed at how phenomenal you are as a human being. And you're going to be so powerful too. It's the truth. And that, my friends, is Gil Younger. Yeah. And honestly, thank you so much for your time today on this episode. And guys, do me a solid favor. If you get the value out of this that I hope you have on every level of being, because you know how passionate I am about this podcast and everything we're trying to do in the world, 
just share it with your friends, share it on social media, just put it in as many people's ears as possible. I appreciate you on every level. And that is it for today's episode. And I hope you've got value. Much love. Guys, do me a solid favor. Drop a comment below this video and let us know who you want on the podcast next. Next.